Welcome to the 44th Street Podcast of the New York City Bar Association. In this episode, Dog Shootings by Police, Understanding, Prevention, and Deterrence. Shari Ramsey, a member of the City Bar's Animal Law Committee, speaks with John Thompson, Vice President of the Small and Rural Law Enforcement Executives Association and former Deputy Executive Director and Chief Operating Officer of the National Sheriff's Association. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Here's Sherry Ramsey. Hello, I'm Sherry Ramsey, and this is a podcast produced by the Animal Law Committee at the New York City Bar Association. I'm a member of the committee, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast on the topic of dog shootings, understanding, preventing, and the deterrence factor of cases brought under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983. I'm an attorney licensed in New York, New Jersey, and Virginia, and I've worked as a prosecuting attorney in private practice and for a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations that help animals in recent years. Uh, joining me today is our distinguished speaker, John Thompson. Uh, he has a long distinguished history and background in law enforcement. He served as deputy executive director and chief operating officer of the National Sheriff's Association. Uh, but I'll let him tell you about his uh, background. He also in 2003 got involved in learning and understanding the link between animal abuse and violence against people. And he kind of made it a mission to ensure that law enforcement became aware of all this important information. He led a movement that established the National Coalition on Violence Against Animals, uh, which he worked with through the National Sheriff's Association and other groups. And he also led the um, National Sheriff's Association petition to the FBI to include animal abuse crimes in their national incident-based reporting system, which was approved and signed by the FBI Director Comey in September 14. Currently, he is serving as the vice president of the Small and Rural Law Enforcement Executives Association. So he's had a wealth of information on uh, law enforcement and these issues, and I'm so thankful he could be here to talk to us today. So let's get started. As we talk about this issue regarding police dog shootings, uh, we'll discuss some brief descriptions of the problems and issues associated with uh, dog shootings by police. John, you've been involved in law enforcement for a very long time. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in law enforcement and discuss how your attitudes have changed over the years on police encounters with dogs and how that came about? Absolutely, Sherry. I'll try to uh, keep it keep it short because it is kind of a long, uh, long history. I uh, started back uh, my law enforcement career back in the early 70s. Um, back then, uh, things were different. Uh, the views that we took with animals were different. Um, and, and pretty much worked all my career uh, without even thinking too much about animal abuse or, or anything to do with animals as it was. Uh, it wasn't until uh, around 2006 when um, we brought a little pup home for my wife and he and I became best friends um, and really changed how I looked at things and looked at uh, the way that the, what was happening out in the in rural America and urban America. I mean, the, the, the abuse of animals was just horrible. And I, I got back and think, how have I worked in law enforcement all this time and never, ever, ever saw that? Um, and not only didn't see it, they would see the connection that it was to, to crime in general and other, other things like domestic violence and, or child abuse. It's just unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, started doing some research um, and actually my daughter had done a, a paper on the link between uh, animal abuse and, and human violence. 
and I was just shaking my head. And, and I knew at that point something had to be done. The good thing was I was working at the National Sheriff's at the time, and they were very supportive of, uh, of us bringing that to the attention of law enforcement. Um, and like you said, I don't want to go over what you already, what you already mentioned, but we formed the uh, National Coalition on Violence Against Animals, uh, which is attended very well with law enforcement, animal advocates, prosecutors, uh, just about everybody. Uh, you know, the National Sheriff's also established a committee so that we could work on topics that were of concern for sheriffs across the country. And, uh, and really just brought that all out into the forefront. Uh, and then before we knew it, we got smacked in the head with another issue where our own people were shooting dogs. And oh my God, I mean, it was, it was almost like a, a pandemic. And um, it, it, was, it was worse than we would ever imagine. And so we took on that fight, which we're, we're you know, doing today. Right. That's good. I, you know, and I, I remember, uh, you know, I served as a prosecuting attorney um, in New Jersey for a while, and I um, got handed all the animal cruelty cases, probably because, like you, I had my own interest in it. I had become educated on the issues. And at some point in time, I remember some of the advocates contacting me and saying to me, you know, police officers just don't care about this issue. And I would say to them, I don't agree with that. I don't believe they don't care. I just think they haven't been educated on these issues. They haven't learned about them and the importance and the links and the things you discussed. So I do think that having an organization like the National Sheriff's Association um, and you in particular being uh, forceful in trying to get some of this information out was a, a really important way that we were able to attack some of these issues that have um, come up over and over again. You know, as you know, the Justice Department cops section uh, developed a number of videos and booklets to provide training to law enforcement on how to prevent these lethal dog encounters. I remember the first time I saw them, I was so impressed with them. I thought, wow, somebody at Department of Justice really got involved and wanted to do this right. Uh, what do you think? What did you think about these? And, and what do you still think about them at this point? Well, it's funny because uh, I remember having a, a meeting with the uh, cops director and telling him about the problem. Uh, this was well before you know, we were doing anything. And I guess I was able to sell him on the idea that they really needed to be involved. And that's when that uh, they were they gave us uh, grants to develop that training. Uh, let me just say this. It goes back to the way our our culture was and the way we were trained. I mean, we were always t taught and trained to eliminate the threat, which, uh, you know, a dog was a threat. There was no, uh, there was no value put on a dog's life. So, um, you know, that's the way most of us grew up in our careers, where if a dog got in the way, you shot him and you pushed him off to the side of the road and, and you called animal control to pick him up. Uh, again, with, you know, with the, with high in high risk entries, when you go in a house, I mean, you're going in with bad guys knowing they're probably going to have guns and they're going to meet you at the corner. And when the dog comes around the corner, you know, the best thing to do is shoot the dog and eliminate the threat. Um, that's where a lot of the problems came in because people didn't realize, and we as law enforcement didn't realize that those dogs are like people's families. I mean, you come shoot my dog, it's like shooting my child. It's no different. And you know, there just wasn't that type of value put a, put on the life of a, of a dog, uh, you know, back in the old days. And so 
it's all changing now and now people are starting to realize and look let me just say this it's not that the cops are want to shoot these dogs it's not that cops don't love dogs many of these cops that end up shooting dogs have dogs of their own it's just it's, it's our culture the way we were we were trained and the way we were taught and what i found it's not a hard sell i mean it's just it's just trying to get them to understand uh that that dogs are family that we just can't go out and shoot them like that and and that brings it back to the other point is that it, there's no training. I mean, when when an officer goes to the academy, he gets nothing on this, and that's starting to change a little bit. But it's still a very very long struggle. Uh, it reminds me of the days when uh, when they tried to tell us about domestic violence, and I would just go sit in these classes and roll my eyes, like, why are you making me sit in this class and telling me about domestic violence? You know, I went knocked on the door. Um, you know, I told the woman to come on, let's get out of the house. And she refused to do it. And I said, okay, fine, then stay. That's your business. You know, I have nothing else I can do. A little did we know at the time that there was reasons why she didn't leave. And a lot of times it was because the, the animal was threatened. So we, we learned those things, but now you're also seeing that same timeline follow um, this th with the dogs and, and how law enforcement understands the value of them and what the problem is. It's going to take some time, but I do think that we're moving forward, not as fast as I'd like to see. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, when you have cops and, and prosecutors and judges uh, and legislated uh, folks that just don't understand, that's where the problem lies at all different levels. And I can tell you that I've seen some communities where the law enforcement really care, but the prosecutor doesn't, right. and, and we have a breakdown. And then I have some communities where the prosecutor cares, but the cops don't care. Right. And then you have some where they both care, the judge could care less. So right. the breakdown is boom, boom, boom. you got to have all three, or you have a breakdown and a waste of time for everybody. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And and when you made the analogy of, uh, about domestic violence, it reminded me, too, of when, as a prosecutor, I spent over a year doing nothing but domestic violence cases uh, and, of course, saw firsthand the correlation between animal abuse and domestic violence. And I also saw judges who didn't take domestic violence as seriously as they should have. In the same way, I've seen judges who don't, don't take animal cruelty as seriously as I think they should. And you're right. We, you know, I provided, I worked for the Humane Society of the United States for a number of years and uh, provided training around the country to law enforcement, prosecutors, and judges, because as you said, every single one of those entities need to be on board with this, because if one of those steps falls short, then the whole pyramid falls apart. So you kind of need to have training for all of those. But it starts with the officer. If the officer doesn't charge the crime, it doesn't go anywhere. And that's why I think, you know, this uh, these cops training uh, programs, the, the booklets that they put out that are so instructive. And then I think the videos were the all-time best things because, you know, watching them uh, and anybody that's interested, you can go online and find them. And it has about six or eight 10-minute videos that, that an officer's department could show at roll call and not take too much time out of their day that explain different things about how to deal with dogs in dangerous situations. And uh, not only does it, of course, protect the dogs from being shot, but it also protects the officers from being bitten. Uh, so that's another reason these, these things are so important. And I think, John, you're right in the sense that, you know, 
since officers weren't taught this and it wasn't part of their typical curriculum in, in going through the academy, but this is, has been a little bit of a harder push to get anything new put in front of officers, but I do think that a lot of officers are embracing it. Um, have you found that to be the case? Yeah, it's, you know, and I go, I want to go back because you said it starts with the officers. Really, it starts with the legislator. Uh, when, when you have a state uh, legislators who don't make the laws that are enforceable or don't allow for it, it makes it tough for the cops because then I see so many times where the cops get out and try to do something and there's just no law to back them up. Um, right. and, and that goes back for the prosecutor too. So, I mean, it really starts with, with us getting good laws on the books and people caring um, about that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, any one of those areas that break down uh, is, is just horrible for it. And um, I yeah, think I'm having, sorry, I was gonna say, having worked in, you know, the animal advocacy world, um, I get a lot of calls so upset at officers, but I think it's really important. And you've, and you've talked about this before too, the idea that the officers take an awful lot of risk on a daily basis, uh, not just with humans, but every time they come in contact with an animal, uh, particularly a dog barking, they don't know what to expect. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, and, and I and I, people will say, oh, well, why, you know, why the officer have to shoot him? Nobody's ever died from getting bit by a dog or, you know, an officer's never died by getting bit by a dog and it's only a bite. But, you know, they you have to understand that there is... Uh, people have fears and officers, you know, we all have fears and we all have things that, that we're scared of. And maybe, you know, I've seen officers that aren't scared with somebody pointing a nine millimeter at them, but yet a little chihuahua would make them run. So, you know, people don't understand that. I had a, I had an officer that, and I got a call that said, you need to come down that, you know, I'm just going to use the name officer Johnny because I don't want to use names, but uh, you know, officer Johnny just shot a dog. So again, I wasn't into that mode of dogs at the time. I was a chief of police. So I ride down the street and I'm, I get down and here's officer Johnny on the front of his car with his head hung. And he's, you know, he looks like he's just been through the mill shaking and, and everything. And I'm like, what is going on? And then the other officer explained to me, well, he just shot the dog come running down the driveway at him. And I'm thinking this big ferocious dog. And I look up the driveway and there's a little chihuahua and what I found out that this officer really had a deep internal fear of dogs. And so when that chihuahua came running down the driveway after him, uh, that was, it was worse than somebody coming out with him put a stick or something. And this officer was a weightlifter. He was big, bulky. Uh, and a lot of times when I go out and train, I use this, I use a video that I saw on TV that uh, where this uh, wrestler, big muscle bound tattoo wrestler was started shaking anytime a dog got near him. So people have to understand it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just this, oh, we're cops, so we don't fear anything. Because you know what? When it comes down to it, we're humans, too. We have the same fears. We have the same uh, problems that other people have. And it goes back to training and understanding. And until we start getting uh, training mandated in, in, in the academies, uh, and I know some states are moving in that, which are great. But there should be a, a tr uh, training in the academies that, that one, make them understand that animal abuse is, uh, is connected to what they do, and two, how to deal with these things. And that's not happening. And it goes back to what I said earlier with domestic violence. It wasn't happening then until we got mandated training in domestic violence. You didn't start seeing the culture change. Right. So you're not going to see this culture change 
rapidly until we start mandating training where these young officers come into it and and they know right away and then you're going to start seeing the problem go away right right now i think you're right you know um one of the things I thought about when you're telling the story about the officer in the Chihuahua is that that's part of why the training so important. Those little videos that show you, show the officers how to deal with a, a spur of the moment situation. So if you've trained on that and you know what your options are, you know, whether it's getting in the car and closing the door. I remember this one video where they hold up something in front of them or they they get on top of a car, whatever it is. It gives the officer an option to know there are things he can do or she can do in lieu of shooting an animal. And um, that's the best you know, prevention is to have other skills that these videos do show. Now, after you told that story, I remember there was a story, at, I was at a conference at, at NSA uh, in Washington where you were there and there was another officer that told a story about an opposite situation. Do you remember a case where an officer allowed himself to be bitten and did all kinds yes. of things. I mean, you do have officers out there that don't have, I mean, I'm, you know, quite honestly, you know, uh, 10 years ago, if a dog had come up to me when I was out, I would have just shot the dog. Yeah. Uh, now I would more, you know, I will try to protect myself. I'd even take a bite before I'd get shot. Story I think it goes back to that video where that officer, where the dogs come charging him. I don't know if you've seen that, yeah. but he's out and these two dogs come charging him. And it's actually pretty scary on the video on his police cam because he looked like they're going to just eat him up and they just come to a screech and stop right before him. And so understanding that kind of behavior on dogs, you know, helps them. And he was able to get them in the, in the car. And I think he goes, how do you like me now? And it was kind of like, that's a video I, I like all police officers to see. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. And, I, and the other story that I remember at the conference was similar in the sense that it was an officer trying so hard not to shoot a very aggressive dog, taking more than one bite, where as I watched it, I even thought as an animal advocate, I don't know how this officer didn't shoot this dog, uh, but the officer was determined and I do think I remember hearing he had gotten some of the training of things to do, and he was trying so hard not to put himself in a position where he was going to get so much uh, blowback for shooting a dog. But I also think watching that video, he just was the kind of police officer that didn't want to shoot a dog. And it was it was such an interesting uh, thing to see the opposite of what we often think of with officers reacting to a dog. Well, he was looking at that dog as, as family, as a person. I mean, if if if, he, if there was a teenage kid out there fighting even saw he wouldn't shoot the kid unless he knew his life was just in danger. Uh, so now that they're starting to see that dogs are family and, you know, when they do that, they treat the dog just like anybody else. So that, you know, shooting a dog would be the very last resort. Um, yeah. you know, even if you're going to get injured, as long as the dog is not going to kill you, I mean, it comes a point that any of us on the street, we feel our life's in intimate danger that we're going to do whatever we can to protect ourselves. It's just, I think there was a lot of uh, overreacting because there was no value on the dog. Right, right. What do you think? I mean, just you know, expounding on the idea of training. Um, what do you? What would you say is probably the biggest problem that departments are facing, and, and why they don't want to implement these these training programs? You know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I can tell you some of the problems is that the police academy is already overloaded because there's so many mandated things. There's so many uh, things that have to be done. Now, I kind of, I'm an advocate of, well, the way I'd like to see police officers trained is they go through an initial 
a few week academy, then they go on the street for a week, then they come back and go, you know, I think that when we're in academy for six months, we don't, we don't absorb everything. You know, it's like we really start learning once we hit the street. And so I wonder how much of that time's really wasted and how much is taken in. Um, you know, and I'd like to see uh, training happen, but it comes, so, so my point to all this is that the academy directors, the people who set the training up are scrambling to find, you know, the time uh, to put what they have to put in. Um, and so if you think about it, come in, well, dogs, eh, you know, we can throw that out. Uh, domestic violence, uh, we could probably throw it out, but we can't because it's mandated. So I think when these uh, when these states start mandating that, and I think they should, I'll be very honest with you, I hate to put any kind of mandates on law enforcement, especially on funded mandates, but I think that this is, it's critical. Of course, <laughs> everything law enforcement does anymore is critical. Um, but personally, I'd like to see it mandated that the police officers in the academy have to uh, get so many hours uh, of uh, animal abuse training and, and this type, and also for in-service because the, the officers that are out of the academy go to in-service every year. They're required to do so many hours. Uh, and that's the way we started doing it. When we did the training, we got it approved for in-service hours. And I can tell you that going out with April, doing, we went to the academy in Baltimore, did some training, and you know, they, they're not really receptive at first. It's like, okay, why am I here? You almost tell who's sitting there because they have to, and then some who come because they want to. But by the end of the day, they're going, wow, you know, it, yeah. it, it, the light goes off. It's not a hard sell. It's just you have to get the time to sell it. Right, right. And April is? April Doherty up at the uh, Baltimore County uh, Prosecutor's Office. Oh, right. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've been very active there in uh, promoting this training. I think a lot of places have been, but they've been particularly active in doing this. Well, she's um, been, you know, goes back to when you get somebody that takes that takes time to care about this, and that's what she did. And then her prosecutor, you know, uh, made it a made it a point. So it always takes somebody to to really take the lead to say, hey, this is important. And and again, right. again, it's not a hard sell, but they're right. making a lot of progress that many other. Uh, agencies aren't. Yeah. Another thing that might help, and it's, I'll be curious to see what your thoughts are about this, are the legal remedies that have been uh, a result of some of these dog shootings that have ended up in court. As I think you know, um, under uh, 42 USC section 1983, there have been a number of cases brought for deprivation of civil rights. Um, by those acting under the color of law. And so basically if somebody's animal's been shot by a police officer, um, they can file suit raising these constitutional issues. Uh, and these cases in general have been very high profile, first of all, but they've also resulted in some really high monetary damages for not only the department, police department, the officers themselves sometimes, and the municipalities of the cities and towns have often been hit with certain uh, monetary damages. To be successful in these kinds of claims, the owner of the animal has to prove the police officer was acting as a police officer, not as a private citizen. The officer's actions involved a seizure of the animal or the person's property, as animals are in every state, and that the seizure was unreasonable when viewed objectively. Uh, the key point in most of these uh, cases has come down to reasonableness. And, and some of these cases have been um, very, as I said, high profile, high monetary. I think one of the leading cases that often comes up is a case that happened 
back in, I think it was around um, 2005. It was a case called San Jose Charter of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. It was a Ninth Circuit uh, court case. Um, and, and it's particularly interesting to me as I read this case that this case was successful when you think of it being a, it was a murder investigation and the people involved were Hell's Angels motorcycle people. And um, in this case, the police officers shot three of their dogs as uh, part of the uh, search of the premises. Um, and they were ultimately awarded a great deal of money. I've heard different figures, but I think it was maybe close to a million dollars in damages. Uh, but the court, again, said that, and I'm quoting here, that the seizure became unlawful when it was more intrusive than necessary. So in other words, there are some cases where they might be able to shoot the dogs and that would be okay. But if it was, there was no reason to shoot the dogs. And in this case, the court went on to say they should have had a plan. They knew there were dogs there. They knew that they were going to have to get by these dogs to get into where they wanted to go. And they should have come up with a plan to make sure these dogs didn't get shot. And the court sort of determined again that they look at the nature and quality of the intrusion uh, and the individual's Fourth Amendment interest in uh, their own property and found in this case, the officers had exceeded their reason for shooting these dogs. Um, There are a number of cases that I won't go into, but there, there are a number of cases that have come out on the same side saying basically that officers have to be uh, prepared, they have to have a plan, these shootings must be reasonable in the context of what is going on, and even the kind of dog. I think in some cases, if the dog was a pit bull, sometimes the cases were turned towards the, uh, more towards the officers who were um, involved in a shooting which may have been more dangerous in their eyes. Um, So these cases, I, I think in some ways may be a deterrent uh, in the sense that they've cost so much money for some local departments and municipalities when maybe there could have been a way to prevent this. Did you have any thoughts you'd like to talk about that particularly? Yeah, I mean, just let me touch on the Hells Angel case because, yeah, that that goes right back to the point of of they knew those dogs were there before they do the entry. But, But let me say, they didn't see the value in the dogs. They weren't trained they didn't. They didn't realize that those dogs were just like family to the to the members of the Hell's Angels. So they go old school, where we're going to go in. Dog gets in the way, we eliminate the dog. Right. And so these these high monetary awards, and I think actually the very first one, and I'm not uh, legal legal by anybody's means, but I think the very first one was in Frederick, Maryland, was uh, in the state of Maryland that actually awarded. Uh, um, a lot of money. I don't like to see anybody get sued or, or have to pay money, but you know, if it takes that to open people's eyes, then you know what it's saying is now the courts uh, or the juries or whoever's doing the awarding is seeing the value of these dogs. Um, yeah, and so that's what's really changing in society is that when you really get down to it, it's the value, and the value of the dog is going to drop, meaning that the dog is looked at as a family member, not as a disposable uh, right. animal. Uh, it's going to change things because now you have legislatures that, that is making different laws. You have people enforcing them. You have, you know, judge and jury that are awarding high monetary value. But it, but again, it goes back to that training aspect of it. Look, I saw a video of an officer who came up. They had a dog. The dog was tied to the back of the truck. Okay. Dog was under control, completely under control. No, no danger, no nothing. 
The officer takes his dash cam. He turns the dash cam around to the dog. So here he is. Now think about this. He's videotaping what he's doing. So does that mean, what would I tell you? He doesn't think he's doing yeah. anything wrong. Right. He takes the dog. He puts the dog on a catch pole. He drags the dog over to the grassy area and shoots him in the head four times and videotapes it. Now, what does that tell you? That's not malicious. That's not somebody doing something they thought was wrong. That's lack of training and and lack of empathy for that dog and the person who owned that dog. Right. And so train, train, train. And yes. if it takes if it takes these courts to award millions of dollars uh, to, to get the people's attention, then so be it. Right. But you've got to plan. You can't just go. You've got to know what you're doing. I mean, that, that team that went into the Hells Angel compound, they knew there were dogs there. They should have planned to deal with them. And actually, that's changing now because I've talked to a lot of uh, sheriffs who have SWAT teams and now have an animal-specific spe unit to go with them. Um, but again, you think about this. That's very tough when you're coming, busting in the house of a drug dealer, knowing there's guns, knowing that it's uh, and, and no matter what comes at you, it's very dangerous because your mm -hmm. life's in danger. So, you know, anybody that thinks that that's just easy street, you know, come on and put on the gear and go in one time and you'll see um, that it's not. So I, I don't want to blame the cops for everything, but I say it goes back to us training them and getting them prepared for the things that they're dealing with. And, right. and we got to train for when society changes, we have to change the way we train. You can't go old school. It doesn't work. And there was a case in Maryland where they actually mistakenly went into the wrong home and it was the mayor's house somewhere in uh, Maryland. I can't remember what the city was, but shot his dogs. It became a very big, high profile case. And I think a, I think a lot of money was awarded. I'm not sure how much, but it was a, a wake up call, I think, in Montgomery. I think it was Montgomery County. This kind of thing is, is something that could have repercussions. Um, in fact, you know, I... I wrote an article for the National Sheriff's Association. I deliberately wrote it a little bit, um, trying to scare the police a little bit into thinking about these cases. I, it was a, written back at, I think, 2015. It was called Shooting Straight, Straight Preventing Unnecessary Dog Shootings. And I just went through some of the cases we discussed and some of the consequences, because not just consequences with regard to monetary actions, but in many cases, and uh, police officers are charged with animal cruelty. In a case you're describing with that webcam, there's a very good chance that that officer might be charged with animal cruelty. He also might be suspended or fired as a result of that action. So officers have more to contemplate than just the idea that there might be monetary values uh, and the fact that their qualified immunity might be considered invalid given their actions, such as the one you described. So they have a lot of things to consider when they're involved in police dog shootings. Uh, and so I, anyway, I wrote this article, I think back in 2015 that you, we had published in the National Sheriff's Association. I remember running into you later and you said you got a little bit of blowback on the article. Do you remember telling me that? Yeah, <laughs> those were the early days. Yeah, I think it's because yeah. I, I was deliberately trying to get their attention a little bit, but I, I don't think I told you the follow-up to that was that Shortly after I saw you that day, I ran into another uh, chief from a different department 
I know it was somebody you knew because I saw you talking to him, but then he walked up to me later. He saw my name tag and he said, oh, are you the one who wrote that article? And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, I printed it out and gave one to every person in my department. And I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> at least he did. He wasn't too turned off by it. But I do. I think sometimes, you know, it takes, like you said, whether it's monetary or or consequences for behavior that it may be until somebody losing their job. These are ways that people learn. This is how we change the way we do, you know, general business in doing things. And I think, uh, as you said, you know, sometimes it, the training is the most important thing, but also consequences can be as well. Um, I think you probably know this, but Colorado now has become one of the first states to enact legislation that actually is focused on canine police encounters, and they're mandating training. Um, and I'm assuming you, you, I think you said you you agree with sort of mandated training for police in these circumstances. Absolutely. Okay, good. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, as time goes by, how few or how many less dog shootings there may be uh, in Colorado versus neighboring states that maybe don't have those kinds of, well, Colorado had one of the first uh, cases that was that was spread nationally was the Chloe case, um, and that was where they came in and the dog was in the garage and the garage door was open. They could have easily, I mean, yeah. ten minutes uh, of of pushing one button to close the door and locking the dog in, and they didn't. Instead, they put the catch pole on him and drag him outside and shoot him. I um, or her, I don't know, Chloe. I guess it was her. But that case was one of the first that really came out and, and showed it. But when you look at these cases, look at these videos, it's just absolutely crazy. But it yeah. goes back to show you that they don't think they're doing anything wrong. So yeah. who do we blame? Do we blame them or do we blame society for not passing the right laws? Or do we blame the chief or the sheriff or for not training his people? I mean, who gets the blame here? You know, and, you know, the officer tends to get the blunt of it, but the officer's doing what especially the old school officers and what they were trained to do. When, right. when I went to the academy, you were trained to eliminate the dog. Boom. That, yeah. that's, that was acceptable. That was what. So how do you take me, somebody who's trained to do that, and now I go out and I get in an incident now based on the training I had because I've had no other information given to me, and I shoot the dog, and then now I get charged with animal abuse or mm -hmm. I get a lawsuit. Is that fair for me? Because I was going by what I was trained. So I think we need to start holding the people accountable and that goes right back to the top, make the laws to make mandate the training. You know, the law enforcement executives need to make sure to do it. And I tell every chief and, and sheriff that I know, you don't want to be in this situation. Not only is it a, a, a public nightmare for you, it, it, it's going to get you sued. And it's so simple. You mandate a couple hours of training. And, you know, also, and you're not going to fix the problem. You, you may not, some officers may still go do the wrong thing. But you know yeah. what, once you've trained them and you've told them and they understand and you've taken the liability off of you. Right. And I think the last thing I want to mention before we wrap up here is just also the community perception when this happens. I mean, when there's been a dog shooting, uh, I know I'm from a small town in Virginia, uh, and years ago there was a, a situation not involving a police officer, but just where a, a dog was needlessly shot, and it was all that was all over the paper. And Everybody talked about it, was so upset about it. And I just thought at the time, I just sort of gotten started in handling a lot of animal law cases. And I thought to myself, this is a public uh, nightmare for the officials in town and the people 
that are trying to enforce and, and the lawyers handling the cases and things because it was such a big deal. And I, and myself having handled a lot of animal cruelty cases, have had judges say to me angrily, um, I got more calls on this animal abuse case than I did on a child abuse case. Um, and, and I would say, well, you know, judge, maybe it's because they know you're going to handle the child abuse case seriously. Maybe they're afraid the animal abuse case is not going to be handled seriously. So the thing that happens, I do think with a lot of these cases is when it becomes a public, um, interest nightmare where everybody in the department, everybody in, in the mayor's office or in the state government are all involved in letter writing campaigns and emails and, and posts on Facebook. I think that's a new dimension that's been added to the problems that can arise when an officer shoots an animal unnecessarily. Have you had any dealings with that? Oh yeah, I mean, we had, um, one comes to mind is Sheriff Bunny Welch up in Chester County. When she was sheriff there, there was an officer who shot a dog in, in Chester, which is a city outside her county, not even in her county. And so people uh, nationally related Chester County. So she started getting emails and threats and it was a public public relations nightmare for her. And she didn't even have anything to do with it. It wasn't even her jurisdiction. Um, so people don't think anymore. It's so easy to just pick up the, the, you know, the computer and start typing uh, and overloading. And then it's just, it, it becomes a nightmare. But that's one thing that we have to try to you know, we tell our chiefs and sheriffs, they need to be up front right away. Boom. Don't try to hide it. Don't sugarcoat it. You know, you investigated if there was wrongdoings, then so be it. And you deal with it. And maybe you change your policy. But if you try to hide it, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I tell anybody, if one of your officers shoot a dog, be prepared for it. I think even Sheriff Welsh said that she had a, a deputy that shot a man. It was actually the same guy that, that jumped the fence at the White House. And he came up there and jumped the jumped the security to go into the courthouse and they ended up having to shoot him. And she's, I didn't hear nothing about that. And here I got an officer, you know, in a, in a county two away from me, shoots a dog and we get, a, you know, lamb bellies. And so, um, uh, so there's so yeah, many things involved. Don't in mess with the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Now it's important to be upfront, I think, and, and deal with these things uh, before they become uh, too overblown and there's no stopping them because then you get false information as well as accurate information. But anyway, thank you so much, John, for talking to us about this. It's an important subject. We're sort of in the middle of seeing it change, see training being initiated, seeing officers taking it more seriously. And it's because of people like you that have pushed really hard to, to advance these issues through law enforcement, through training, through seminars, all the things that you've done over the years. So Anyway, thank you, and thank you to our listeners for listening to our podcast, and we'll see you in the future. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the 44th Street Podcast of the New York City Bar Association. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Find more City Bar podcasts and program audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or at our website at nycbar.org. This podcast was produced by Eric Friedman and Alex Cardaris.